Well, Brent is gay, and Caitlin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome to Homo Superior's Creator Crush Series. I'm Caitlin Batia, and along with me is Adam Kasari, who recently became a dog dad along with his boyfriend, Andrew. Say woof, Adam. That's a really rough introduction, Kaylin. So Creator Crush is an interview series where we chat with our favorite comic book creators, learning more about their work, their thoughts in the industry, and what makes them so darn special. Today, we're joined by the lovely and talented Josh Trujillo, writer of the upcoming series Blue Beetle Graduation Day, co-creator of Aaron Fisher, the queer Captain America of the Railways, and along with Josh Corneon, uh, creator of the gorgeous and, well, frankly, hot Pool Boys. We also had the pleasure of meeting Josh in person at FlameCon in New York. Uh, Josh, it's so wonderful to chat with you again. No, thank you so much, guys. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, what's something new, fun, and exciting that happened to you this week, Josh, that we can really time oh, stamp? Gosh. I mean, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but I just got into Marvel Snap, which I, I've seen it on my, in my sight lines for like a month now. And I was like, if I touch it, there'll be nothing, I won't come back from it. <laughs> so I used to play superhero card games. I used to play Overpower way back yes. when. I used to play Marvel versus DC, which was my favorite. Um, and so like, this was totally like catnip for me. I will say that for someone that's apparently very experienced playing card games, I am terrible at Marvel Snap. I should be like twice the level <laughs> <laughs> I am, but I just keep I just keep getting handed it. It's, yeah, no, it's taken Homo Superior by storm as well. I think at least four out of the five of us are playing. And what I like about it is that it's very like great equalizer, right? Because it's like 12 cards, six rounds, like it makes it as fast as possible. Um, that's really fun. Good. Do you have a favorite card? Oh gosh, who do I like now? I like Kazar. Yes. I have a great. little like I have a little baby deck. So I have all these little low-cost characters, and then Kazar <laughs> comes out and he's like buff and beautiful and he like fixes everything i love it i recently found out that that's called a zoo deck as i forget it, it came from some other deck builder but i also can uh very much of a one cost uh party but watch out for killmonger is what has really been fucking oh i up. know i know i played um, killmonger and he was great it was great for me but i haven't been played it like no one's played against him against me yet uh, no, I love it. Well, we used to call them, uh, we used to call them weenie decks or swarm decks or rush decks, but like, we, you know, weenie decks was definitely what we <laughs> we call it back then. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, let's like jump right into it, I guess. Like, we really just need your secret origin story first. How did you get into comics? Okay, so um, the medium sized version of the story is. I always wanted to do comics. I was copying and pasting Garfield comic strips together to make my own as a little kid. And I knew superheroes and just comics in general were my thing, but I didn't know how to do it. So I ended up spending my 20s waiting tables, working at Disneyland, working in odd jobs. And over time, I finally got an internship at a comic book company, which shall remain nameless. Then I got a, I didn't really get any jobs from that. And mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, I guess that's just, that's just where it is. And so like maybe a few years later, I gave it another go and I interned at uh, Arkea, which later became Boom mm -hmm. or became part of Boom. And there, because Arkea was such a small company at the time, I learned how editing works. I learned how production works. I learned how tabling at conventions worked. I learned how inventory, I learned everything because there were four people doing everything as opposed to a big company like the one that I worked at the first time. Mm -hmm. So 
that I learned that like I the way to get into comics is to make comics. It sounds very straightforward and people give this advice a lot. It's because it's true. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people on like, I noticed on like social media, like Instagram or Twitter, by the time this airs, I don't even know if there will be Twitter. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, people will say like aspiring writer, aspiring artist, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, if you make something, you are that thing. So like, I really encourage people to take aspiring out of their, out of their bios. Um, but from uh, my internship at Archaea, I learned to self-publish. I did a romance series called Love Machines. There was an anthology. I put together a couple of anthologies featuring my work and work of other people, like Death Saves was a big one. And then we did a follow-up a couple of years later. But from there, I got the attention of Boom. They were doing Adventure Time comics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us actually kind of got our first jobs doing those Adventure Time comics because Boom was publishing like 100 issues a year or something That's at one right. point. So... I got to do three graphic novels for them and I got to write them all in the span of like five weeks. And it was like just trial by fire. I'm really proud of how this came out, but like they could have gone south. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, Were you a fan? Um, of Were Adventure you? Time? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I, remember, uh, I remember having a few drinks after a themed Thanksgiving party I hosted. And my friend's like, have you ever heard of this thing called Adventure Time? And we watched it and I was like, I'm not high, but like there's something <laughs> calling to me about the show. And I get the, you know, you learn the characters, you learn about Tree Trunks and Lumpy Space Princess and all that and you're, <laughs> you're hooked. So like from there, I started to do like, uh, I did Rick and Morty comics. I did, uh, I did a Dream Daddy comic. I self-published some more works. And finally I got, um, my first gig at Marvel doing a short story for their uh, War of the Realms tie-in. War of the Realms mm-hmm. was their big Thor event that summer. Yeah. And it just kind of, you know, you think your first gig is going to be it and you're just going to be set from there. But mm-hmm. like I did it and like the calls didn't come and I was like, oh, I guess I like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Right. But then thankfully DC called and I started to get work over there. So long story short, I've been doing a little of both lately which has been, put me in a really good position and I'm able to do hella gay stuff like pool boys with Josh Cornean. Um, so, you know, I would say that like, don't be disappointed if it takes you 15 years to start doing comics professionally. And even then I, I work in video games as my, my quote unquote day job. So, you know, you can, you can find a way to have it all, I guess it just takes forever. Yeah, I was going to say, you perfectly set up all the other questions and content that we do want to talk about, so thank you for that. But I, I think just kind of jumping, before we jump into all of the individual elements, I'd love to just kind of understand, since you kind of roll through Marvel, DC, self-publishing, are there like pros, cons that you see to your experiences? Like, we'd just love to kind of know, are there really differences, or do you show up every day um, kind of the same way and approach in terms of your, your writing and your, your thought process for creativity? Um, for like the Marvel and DC stuff, like I really try to take, I don't know where I heard this from, but, uh, you know, we're like custodians to these characters. We got to keep them mm-hmm. in like good shape. It's like a campsite. And like, if you're writing about like, I don't know who speedball, for example, like when you're done with speedball, you should have left speedball in a better place than when you started writing speedball. 
And some writers don't understand that. And they do these like really, I will never say who, but they do these really horrific things with some of these characters we love. <laughs> and it's like, oh no. And you're happy. I'm happy to like, you know, throw the kitchen sink at any character and make them struggle a bit. But then like sometimes the damage is long-term. So anyway, I'm a big fan of these characters. I know them originally through like video games and comic books and card games. Uh, but like, I, I try to be in service to the characters and to the universe and treat them well and throw unexpected elements of them and tie everything together. Whereas like the creator owned stuff, like I just want to make something that's personal to me and something that's exciting. I have this bad habit of like, I, my self-published work, I kind of call unpublishable. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> pool boys, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. But that's like mm-hmm. a gay demon human romance. It's kind of odd. You know, you wouldn't necessarily see any IDW or someone publish it, for example. But like, that's what Kickstarter and Indiegogo or whatever crowdfunder can bring to to the kind of process. Um, So I get to do a little all. And it's like, yeah, you wear a different hat every day. Uh, well, I love your analogy of uh, being like a custodian or, you know, the campsite of, uh, you know, uh, finding these characters that are owned by these the major publishers and then, you know, uh, making them better or leaving them better when you leave them. So let's jump into into Jaime Reyes, uh, who is actually a character I really love. You've got Blue Beetle uh, Graduation Day coming out later this month with artist uh, Adrian Gutierrez. Give our listeners your elevator pitch on this series. Yeah, so you may not be familiar, some of your readers, with Jaime Reyes, the Blue Beetle. Um, He is a teenager, Latino teenager, who grew up in El Paso, Texas. A mystical sci-fi scarab beetle lands from outer space, and it attaches itself to its spine. And Jaime is now permanently fused with the scarab. The scarab is alive, but it also gives him superpowers. He can transform into this Blue Beetle super character. And so he protects Texas and the DC universe at large from various threats, usually space, sometimes magic, sometimes just generic superhero stuff, but it's all little, everything's his domain. And he's just trying to figure it out. You know, he's a tough, he's a kid in a, in a tough superhero world and he has one of the most powerful objects in the DC universe attached to his spine. So well, he's got a lot to learn. Um, he's one of those, uh, DC does this really well, the legacy characters, uh, like mm-hmm. he's like third Blue Beetle really. Uh, after Dan Garrett and Ted Cord, and uh, I'm a Texan, so I love that he's from Texas. Um, and as you said, you know, you uh, originally uh, he was set in El Paso, uh, but uh, not to get too much into spoilers, but uh, you don't have him set in El Paso. You got him set in a fictional city, and DC does this a lot more than Marvel. They've got Metropolis, Gotham City, my personal favorite, Opal City. I'm an old school DC fanboy, uh, but you've got Jaime and his family set in. Uh, Palmera City. Uh, and uh, is it based on El Paso or another location? I would say that uh, we, you know, the goal was to get Jaime out of his comfort zone a little bit. Not that he's ever truly comfortable. He's still a spastic teenager, but, yeah. uh, you know, to find a kind of a, his own Gotham City and to find a place for him in the DC universe. And for that, we kind of see it as like, so it's, a, it's part Silicon Valley on the Gulf Coast and it's part San Antonio, you know? Okay, it yeah. kind of has that like high tech central hub that's like, it's like Austin in the sense that like Austin's been the fastest growing city for like 10 years straight. Oh, yeah. And like you just build faster than you can support sometimes. And so you've got this going on and you've also trying to preserve these like cultural roots 
to the city as well. It's got a, you know, it's got a strong Latino cultural influence. A lot of immigrants live in Palmyra City. And so it's these two kind of warring ideas and Jaime's kind of in the middle of it, not only because he has high tech stuff attached to his spine and he's Latino, but also because he's an heir to this legacy mm-hmm. of uh, the Blue Beetle. And the biggest business in Palmyra City is Cord Industries, which is uh, the business belonging to his mentor, Ted Cord, the second Blue Beetle that fans might be familiar with from uh, Justice League International or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I love I love that the San Antonio kind of Austin like melding. I lived in Austin before uh, living in, in Washington D.C. and like you've got this like area where I feel like Austin and San Antonio are going to become this one giant like metroplex because of urban sprawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say you're a tour guide for Palmera. What would be the sites you'd recommend to tourists like us? So um, you could go to what we call the hub, which is kind of the downtown central tech area. You could go to the Court Industries building. You could go to Rogers Stadium and catch a ball game. Um, but, you know, a lot of the fun, I feel like, is really kind of on the outer skirts. We call it the Keys. So we've got, um, I mean, we've got what? We've got uh, Albuquerque Pier, which is kind of like the surf zone where, you know, the beach babes hang out. We've got uh, Jimenez Street, which is kind of modeled after Olvera Street in Los Angeles. It's kind of mm-hmm. where the, the town originally started. It's become kind of this thriving shopping, dining artistic area. Uh, and then my favorite location, the one Jaime is going to be spending a lot of time with, he's going to be at Gloria's Diner, which is uh, belonging to his two tias, uh, Marcel and Gloria. And it's kind of like this cultural institution. It's modeled a little bit after, not too much, but a little bit after my family's, uh, they own a diner in San Antonio, actually. So oh, really? I'm kind of pulling from some of my personal experience uh, and, and throwing it at Jaime. Where, where's the family diner? I got to know. Oh yeah, it's in San Antonio. It's um, it's called Ray's Drive-In. Uh, okay. And uh, it's I, I don't I couldn't tell you. It's like it's in the greater downtown area, but okay. it's been there like for like, the it's been there for like fifty five years. And it's one of those buildings where like it started off like a small kind of shack, and they keep adding extensions to it, like the Winchester Mansion or something. Yeah. And so you know, and it's just a, it's a funny mashup of just things. They've, they've got Model Ts in there. They've got Mortal Kombat machines. They've got nice. things hanging from the ceiling. Uh, it's 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 pure Texas. Now, yeah. Now, yeah. Josh, you said we said tourists like us though. Where's the gay bar scene in Palmyra City? Is there one? Hopefully, we're gonna get there. But um, I will <laughs> I will tell you uh, this this is an this is an exclusive. Uh, Jaime's two aunts. Uh, Marcel and Gloria are in fact uh, lesbian lovers so they are uh, I'm finding nooks and crannies to kind of fill out the cast (laughs) how I like there we go I love it um so uh without really getting into spoilers okay let's say you're cutting a trailer for the series because first issue hasn't come out yet for the readers we don't want to get into spoilers we want people to experience it but you're cutting a trailer what can you tease for us what would be in this trailer sure um you know, Jaime is graduating from high school. He's leaving that part of his pet life behind him and he's uncertain about his future. But at the same time, he's uh, interrupted by a, a cosmic disturbance that kind of throws everything he knew into disarray and makes everyone in the DC universe look to Jaime as maybe the solution to the problem. Maybe he is the problem. And so I'd say the fate of the DC universe hangs in uh, an 18 year old's indecision about his own future. So it's, it's as much about 
what these cosmic stakes as it is about why hasn't Jaime applied to any colleges yet. Love it. Why don't we jump into some of our uh, the Marvel work? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, let's get into this Marvel verse. Uh, first, Josh, happy one year anniversary on your four issue Unlimited series, which had you cheating up with uh, Jody Nishijima. Um, so we've got Hulkling and Wiccan, Billy and Teddy. They're two of our favorite characters for a variety of reasons. When did you become mm -hmm. a fan of these two? Uh, I started reading them in the Alan Heinberg uh, run, the original. So I remember when they weren't even officially dating, they were just, kind of, there was allusions to that. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the first issue and just being like, wait, there's something, there's something there because there wasn't like a lot of comic, I wasn't online really at the time. And there wasn't a lot of comics press about that. And so like, I think like even Wizard Magazine wasn't talking about what was kind of the subtext behind that relationship. And so finally, when they did come out, it was like a huge revelation because I hadn't, I simply hadn't seen that before in a comic book. Like I know that stuff like Apollo and Midnighter was out, but that, those are books that I would find later in life. So for me right. to have like an out gay couple, I think it meant the same thing it meant to everyone who kind of comes across Billy and Teddy. It's like eye-opening. Uh, it's a shame they didn't get to kiss for like another like 10 years or whatever, right, but right. that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> What did, uh, when you got to then now be custodians for these characters and write this, you know, miniseries, what was going through your head? Like, how did you feel about it? And how, you know, how did you approach uh, writing, writing this series? Yeah, uh, I have to speak carefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I love Billy and Teddy. And you know what, they have the greatest love story in the Marvel universe. You know, like Move Aside, Read and Sue, it is about Billy and Teddy and kind of figuring out the next steps for them has been really interesting. Um, they, you know, they had the big empire event, which also like kudos to Marvel for building an entire summer long event around a gay couple and gay marriage and gay love. Right. Um, so like, I'm very appreciative of that. It, and it put them in this position where Hulkling is king of space mm -hmm. and Wiccan is kind of uh, figuring it out. You know, he is not the king of space. And I think that creates a little bit of an imbalance. And I'd love to, I like exploring that a little bit. But um, I was interested in kind of taking that shiny, perfect couple that we love and just giving them a, a moment of hesitation, not to, not to break them up or anything, but just to make them re-examine why they care about each other so much and to kind of frame it in the context of a real relationship. Because I think all too often, um, this is just, this is not exclusive to Billy and Teddy. And I think every writer who's handled them has done a really good job of making kind of a grounded, realistic love story. But, you know, it's too easy to say that they're in love forever and ever always. And so right. we got to figure out why they're in love forever and ever always. And also what are they missing out on by right. being that perfect high school couple? Well, and it really speaks to their maturing relationship, right? Because I think no matter what couple and how great they are, there's going to be different and not always overlapping life goals or things are going to come up in reality and people are going to have to work through them. I certainly know that I've done it um, with my partner. I was wondering, like, did you bring anything autobiographical to that element? And I guess kind of the twist question based on what you said, do you normally see yourself as the king of space or are you the person who's figuring out being the king of space in a relationship? <laughs> I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that most writers uh, attach themselves to uh, Wiccan more than Hulkling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because Wiccan has these kind of, Wiccan feels a little more approachable. He's kind of that, he's a nerd. He likes superhero stuff. 
He's just a tad insecure and he's capable of way more than he could ever possibly realize. And so I right. think a lot of writers project themselves onto him. And I definitely associate more with, uh, with him than necessarily Hulkling. Trying to find an angle for Hulkling has been uh, not a, a, a pleasure, honestly. Not, it's, it's something I, I work very hard to kind of make him feel real and give him some grit and some agency outside of the relationship. And like Ali Ewing does this really well in some of his comics about the couple. Anthony Olvera does this pretty well as well. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely a Wiccan boy of the two. Uh, but hopefully people don't pick up on that too much when they read my books. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so during the first issue of the miniseries, we got a cute dinner party of Bobby Iceman. We call him that. <laughs> North Star and his husband, Kyle. Uh, since this is an X-focused podcast, we were wondering if yeah. you had to conscript a queer X team with those three as a base, who else would you want to add as numbers? Oh, that's interesting. I guess I'd figure out who was leading. So it'd be... I'm going to say Kyle Janadu is going to lead the team. And so he's the only one. My thing is like North Star is like kind of objectively like a perfect man. He's so powerful. He's so capable. He's brilliant. He's charismatic. And so like, why does North Star catch, like fall in love with kind of a human, you know? And like, especially because North Star has all this like anti-mutant or anti-human mutant terrorist stuff going on in his past. And so Kyle must be like hot shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and they should, I think even if you read like uh, various comics, even the other superheroes are like, oh, is Kyle here? You know what I mean? Like, I think <laughs> they Captain do clean him up. You're exactly right. right. Steve Rogers did that. Oh, where's Kyle? It's like, yeah. why is Steve Rogers a fan of Kyle? That's so weird. But I love it. Because Kyle's awesome. Yeah. So uh, who else do we got on the team? Uh, I guess a Noel is, is a favorite. He'd have to be the kid of the bunch. Um, uh, I don't think he's... I'm sure he's not canonically queer, but I've always read Cypher as queer. And so I'd yeah, love for so him to be on the team yeah. too. I mean, he's yeah, literally he's he's be great. married to somebody while also dating an entire He's poly. So I he's, he's very poly. <laughs> yeah, but crosses into queer territory, Cypher. Yeah, thought. we welcome you into our fold, Cypher, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Sorry, and then I feel like that's my... No, that might be the team. Who am I? Ooh. I guess I need, some, I need some ladies on the team too. Sure. Um, I know. I, Rachel Summers and Betsy Braddock. That's that's the team. Nice new pairing. Yeah. They they're definitely another couple that I could see over time mimicking in a great way the Hulkling and Wiccan idea of like just having what feels like really growth and thoughtful relationships and builds, and then you know what's going to happen to them as they go through uh, life will be interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited that they get to be out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm. I'm if you know, longtime fans, people have been reading since the 80s, like they've seen it there. That's the, not subtext, it's text. Oh, yeah. And so for it to finally become like said out loud and like that's that must be so exciting for everyone who grew up with those characters. Well, my first issue of Uncanny X-Men was 199, which had Rachel as Phoenix on the cover. And I remember I didn't know what queer was, you know, at the time I knew I was different. But uh, when you see when you, you know, when I went look, look back and read those issues first, you know, the way that Rachel is sort of dressed, the way she carries herself, it's clear that Claremont was like queer coding her and then he was queer coding Betsy as well, uh, like through a lot of those issues. It's great. You're right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Love Unlimited, which is going to be the sequel to the original Hulkling and Wicked Mini. Um, it's coming out later this month. 
Are we going to see Go Big and Eidolon again? What else or what else can you share about um, what's coming down the pipeline for these two? Yeah, so this is a direct follow-up to the uh, Wiccan or Hulkling and Wiccan uh, possibilities, which is the name of the first storyline. This one's called Memories. Um, and so it focuses on kind of the aftermath of what happened in the first arc. And so uh, Hulkling and Wiccan are dealing with a, a cosmic threat in the beginning, and they're looking to uh, someone with a lot of experience in uh, meddling with the fabric of the universe for help. And from there, we kind of see a return of Go Big. It's already been spoiled on the, if you read the print edition, there's a big ad in the back of it. So I, I don't think okay. it's too much of a spoiler, but Go Big returns in an unexpected way. And the, this trio kind of have to navigate what that means for them while also dealing with a cosmic crisis of their own. Uh, as for Eidolon, you'll have to keep reading. All right. Is uh, Go Big's brother Go Home going to be in this? Or... I knew you were going to make that joke. And <laughs> I'm, we're sorry, Josh. Know, I'm sad that I didn't make the joke first. That's my <laughs> that's my shame. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we can move on to some Captain America. Yeah, so uh, staying on to queer representation in Marvel, um, we read United States of Captain America uh, and your story specifically, uh, you co-created uh, Aaron Fisher with Jen Basildua. Uh, can you talk to us about how you and Jan came up with this character, why you wanted to include Aaron into the Captain America mythos? Uh, anything else you wanna share about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, I was contacted by Marvel as was Jan about kind of creating a queer Captain America for this event the United States of Captain America, which Chris Cantwell did with Dale Englisham. And Chris had a really kind of wonderful idea where he wanted to expand kind of just the, the umbrella, the definition of who could be Captain America and really challenge those preconceived notions because obviously Steve Rogers reflects maybe a sensibility, a version of America of the time he came from. And so what does that look like today when we kind of have a more fractured uh, world? different fractured America. So I wanted someone who kind of stood, uh, we, Marvel is very fortunate to have a lot of happy queer couples and happy queer characters. I wanted someone with a little more grit on them. I mm -hmm. wanted someone who maybe had a more troubled uh, upbringing and more troubled backstory um, just to reflect, I think, the world outside your window, which is like the Marvel way. So uh, the original concept came from Chris in the sense that he wanted the character to be the Captain America of the rails. And I kind of had to interpret what that meant. <laughs> and for me, that meant he's a runaway. And yeah, that yeah. gave me an opportunity to talk about an issue that's really important to me, which is the unhoused population, which disproportionately affects queer people, especially mm -hmm. young queer people. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've spent my 20s and I've lived, I live in LA now. And obviously it's no secret that we are dealing with a crisis of that sort. And even just that's, I've been seeing that slowly build outside my, outside my window. And so I wanted something to speak to that issue, but also more importantly, I wanted someone to be a representative, a voice of that population. Like in the past, and Marvel's done a good job of like resolving this a little bit, but like D-Man, if you remember him, mm -hmm. he's, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a, our beloved bisexual D-Man. You know, he was originally like the homeless daredevil or the homeless right. Captain America. And it was kind of played for chuckles a lot of the time. And I thought it was, I, I didn't like that portrayal. They've since, right. I think, really done a lot of character work. Like I said, they were good custodians and kind of made, made good on that. 
but I wanted Aaron to be a modern character. I want him to be, I guess, what, what's an 18 year old now? Gen Z or are we past that? That's how old I am. I'm like, what? Yeah, I think that's still Gen Z. Yeah, yeah, but that's definitely Gen Z. But I do feel like it's like starting to be the tail end of Gen Z, which is terrifying. Yeah, I, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, so he has his own sensibilities. He's a little more of a, uh, can be a little bit more of a party boy. He's a little harder edged. He's got a bunch of dumb tattoos on him, and he's <laughs> planning on getting more. Uh, and so I just, I love Aaron for his visual look. Jan and I went back and forth on a couple of concepts. For me, I wanted my vision was somewhere between Bucky and Steve Rogers before he became Captain America. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone with those positive qualities and that heart, but also I wanted someone who's a little bit of a bad boy and not afraid to like bend or sometimes break the rules to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where we came up with him visually. And then the people ask about the overalls because it's a little Mamma Mia, but <laughs> I, I, was I was living in Brooklyn uh, before I got to work on this project. And I was noticing that people were walking around in overalls and that's just like hip mm -hmm. Brooklyn streetwear. And so I thought that was like, it was very durable, you know, it's something that anyone could wear. It's something that he could wear when he's not a superhero necessarily. Mm -hmm. And also like, it just, I mean, this kind of the the master plan, right? But like, it makes for good cosplay. It makes for easy. It makes for <laughs> something that people can pick up and do. And that's, that's Aaron right. Fisher. He doesn't have a super suit. He's not that kind of character. Right. No, we saw a cosplayer actually in New York Comic Con uh, dressed as Aaron Fisher and he looked great. Uh, so you're totally right. That is like a really great way to do cosplay. I also love uh, a lot of the younger characters in Marvel have like the kind of DIY streetwear type clothes. Like Miles Morales has like, mm -hmm. you know, the hoodie. Oh, his jackets are so cool now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like, I want them. They're awesome. I mean, I'm probably too old for them now, but they, they look cool as fuck. Uh, no, that's, that's, uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that about like, um, a little bit of a grittier portrayal of, of of queer life, which I think is important because sometimes we do get more of this sort of sanitized, you know, Hallmark-esque uh, view of of queer characters in a lot of pop culture. Uh, and uh, it's a dangerous time to be queer in America right now. Mm -hmm. uh, as I say this, uh, while we're going to release this uh, the week of uh, November 14th, um uh tomorrow as we're recording this is election day and I, I work in politics and i'm terrified about what's going to happen so hopefully it's better than i think it will be but um uh, i just really appreciate everything you just said you're forecasting forward if you didn't vote in this election cycle shame on you <laughs> Definitely risk risk. no i think that um there's a lot of uh yeah there, there was a time and a place for kind of these shiny happy queer characters and I think we are a little bit past that. I think we need to see more, yeah. uh, more humanity in these characters. I think we need to see their struggles. I think we need to see bad gays. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think we need to see conflicted gays and tr troubled gays and everything under the sun. And even like a character like um, uh, Steve Fox and Chris Anka created Web Weaver this past yeah. summer for their Spider-Verse event. And, you know, uh, Web Weaver is kind of, he's a very effeminate character. And he's unapologetically effeminate. And even yeah. 10 years ago, that character would have come out and us gays would have been like, how dare you throw a stereotype in our face? Right. But I think now our understanding of, we have so many characters that we don't, one doesn't represent all of us. And there are, those people exist in our lives. So we should right. celebrate, they should be heroes too. Absolutely, absolutely right. 
Um, so kind of wrapping us up just before we jump into some of your independent stuff, do you have, as I mentioned before, this is an X podcast, but do you have any desire or plans to write an X book beyond just casting one? Would love to hear just what you, if there's anything in the future for it. Oh gosh. My, I don't have anything in the coffers right now, but please email me, uh, whoever's listening <laughs> to this. Um, but I will, you know, uh, if it would be a dream, I'm actually making my boyfriend watch the watch, watch the nineties X-Men animated series. Oh, nice. And so he's never, he's familiar with the characters through the Fox movies, but he's never seen the animated show, which is how I became acquainted with them originally when I was like six. Right. Right. So like, he's like, he's like, oh man, the Phoenix saga was amazing, but like, she's so powerful. Couldn't that power be used for evil? And I'm like, oh, just, oh, you wait. just wait, my friend, <laughs> just wait, my friend. So, uh, so then you guys are on season two, then, right? Like right at the we're beginning. On, I think we're on three. Is no three? I think. Okay. I think it's the first. I think Phoenix Saga and Dark Phoenix are three. Yes, because they discover oh, three. the yeah, they okay. discover the aliens. You got like the first two episode premiere when they like get into the thing. We're we're, we're watching it weekly now for the podcast, and it's just it's a never ending treasure trove of great content, both in nostalgia's sake, but also like just great 90s television to be like man this oh yeah is, it's ridiculous my favorite bit, bit of trivia is and i've been on panels with her is lenore uh, lenore zarn uh who voiced rogue doing this like very southern bell and she's from nova scotia and was a member of parliament in canada i'm like what an interesting what? yeah it's nuts right and she's she's a very very cool woman uh and uh she's you know uh she has this like amazing history but she also did voice acting and this like you know, I just love saying sugar over and over again. Anytime I, I, I try to mimic Rogue. No, if you ever need a person to talk about the 90s series, I am here. I am watching it currently without prompt. Uh, I love it. But, Who's your favorite character yeah, on, the, but, uh, on, on, on the animated series? Uh, with, I mean, for, without a doubt, it's Storm for me. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. being a little gay kid and it's like the third episode or something where like Magneto launches some nukes and Storm has to stop them. And I just remember being like, she's so powerful. Cyclops could like zap it. You know, what's Wolverine gonna do to this missile? And like Storm like landed the shit, landed it safely. And like, she's so powerful. And she just like, she can like, she's saying poetry while she's like doing these incredible, powerful things. Yeah. Uh, and does your boyfriend have a favorite character yet? Or is he also- He likes trying? Rogue. He definitely likes Rogue. He likes Rogue. What? Rogue always like... has the best one-liners. Yes. <laughs> Sugar. I love them. And also, I love that like gay men uh, or queer men just gravitate towards the X women because they're the best. They're the most powerful. They have the best personalities. It's just how it is. I think I just said like a couple weeks ago that was like it is my gay awakening, and I'm sure for many people as well. Because all right, you see Storm and Rogue, and you're just like, wow, what powerful women! Why yeah. can't I be like? That? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on from uh, DC and Marvel into some of your independent stuff. And so, um, you know, we mentioned that you. Uh, co-created Pool Boys. We've got to pick up uh, the special con edition at Flame Con. Uh, it's 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 beautifully illustrated. It's well written. It's hot as fuck. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you and Josh, the other Josh, Josh Cornion, came up with this? This is such an interesting concept of this like interdimensional demonic spa uh, with a lot of gay love and gay sex. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh... Pool Boys is a romance between a demon and a human at a Palm Springs style resort. And so it is an interdimensional resort. The pool in question is actually a portal to other dimensions. And so people come to the solitaire resort for like uh, R&R, lounging and relaxation, having a few drinks. 
And, you know, the demons are just like us. They like to get a little tossed and have some fun uh, in under the sheets too. So <laughs> Josh and I wanted to collaborate on something for a long time and kind of figuring out how to play up both of our sensibilities was like the struggle. Uh, I wouldn't say the struggle, but it was the challenge. And so like, you know, he has, he loves his soft boys. I'm sure you've seen like his bottom Bobby cartoons mm-hmm. or his himbo oh, yeah. angel. Mm-hmm. And like, he has that, like, he's a, a great admirer of the male form and his style is so like vibrant and like warm and approachable. And I think that that like makes it all the sexier. And so we, we actually, he and I went to Palm Springs with a couple of other queer creators last, last May. And we were still kind of figuring out the details of what the story would be. And it was really helpful to like go to like the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs and like show Josh, cause I, I live in Southern California, he lives in New York. And so to show him like what the Palm Springs experience and the aesthetic was like. And I think it really shows on these pages, like all the homework he did. And yeah. by homework, I mean, look at cute boys. You know, cool. <laughs> but like, it works right though, it's you, gorgeous. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. manifest that. I, um, so. I appreciate uh, when you said soft boys, I really love the fact that uh, Paul, uh, uh, Micah is the demon. Micah has got like, just like the six pack and the abs and like perfect chest, perfect shoulders, perfect arms. And Paul's very, very handsome, but he's got a different physique. And I, I, I love that we're seeing more, and I've seen this in a lot of other sort of queer comics and other queer content that like there's this body diversity happening. Uh, so this isn't a question so much as just me saying thank you for including body diversity in in this comic. Oh no, this was so, this was something we definitely talked about from the get-go and it was like always a part of Josh's designs for the, for the Paul character. Um, you know, I think it just, I think visually it's more compelling. I think it's more realistic. I think it's more interesting. You know, had Pool Boys been two perfect gym bodies falling in love, I don't think it would be as compelling. And that's not to say that uh, the human character, Paul, is not as sexy as Micah. Quite the contrary, I think. I think Paul is like the VIP of the book. And Micah is just kind of the the art candy to a degree. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's definitely the main character. And I did, I really appreciate the juxtaposition that you had and just the, uh, what I also appreciated was just to your point, like how everybody at that pool party wanted Paul. Like it was, I think when they had like the flash forward or someone else jumped out of the pool, I was like, I could use some rubbing off. I was like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's love right there. Cause I would rub that on that person in a second. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your uh, section to the Dream Daddy anthology. So it's an amazing visual novel in its own right as a game. You and fellow artists and authors did a great job at translating the game experience to paper. Your story focused on two of my favorite pastimes, Dungeons and Daddies. Um, mm-hmm. Had you already played the game before taking the opportunity? And what are some of your favorite tabletop games and experiences in general? Uh, I was working at um, uh, a video game studio when the Dream Daddy game first came out. And I remember the trailer launched and it felt like the clouds had parted briefly. It was just like, what is going on? What is, you're allowed to make games like this? And it's, it's like, great, it felt right? so polished and like, yeah. the game's great. But uh I kind of leaned a little bit on the fandom and the tropes because I realized that the the real story was what the fans were kind of creating themselves in these like fan art and fan fictions. And so I really did not to like, I didn't steal any storylines or whatever, but I saw there what excited people about the characters and I wrote to that. Yeah. To the Dungeons and Dragons of it, I've been running or playing D&D or games like D&D for, how old am I now? For like 25 years. Like I've been playing since I was like 12. And wow. so I know the tropes and the ins and outs of the D&D. Um, 
It shows in my Adventure Time work. It shows in Dungeons. It shows in Dream Daddy, and it's showing in some other stuff that's going to be out uh, in the future. But that's always like that sensibility is important to me. And also, like of that Dream Daddy miniseries, the story I did with DJ Kirkland, who's one of the great loves of my life. Uh, DJ and I. Um, I already lost my track train of thought. Oh, because all the stories in the rest of the anthology, they introduce a human character, right. like a player character substitute that the daddies interact with. And for us, that didn't make sense. We wanted to see the daddies interact with each other. We wanted to create our own fanships and fan pairings. For mm-hmm. me, it's Brian and Craig, and that definitely shows in my issue. But yeah, there yeah. are other compelling character pairings as well. Uh, did, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, did you like? Do you like? being dungeon master or do you prefer to be you know create like create like a a brand new character i mean i have i am in a weekly game night uh every thursday we've been playing on and off for like eight or nine years now and even when i lived across country the game night still kept going and i came back to it but um i like to run a game but uh, i noticed that the more creativity becomes a part of my day job the harder it can be sometimes to kind of like create those stories at night. Yeah. Um, so like I'm, I, I have a great guy, Rob, who, who usually runs the game and he's also super, a super creative, brilliant dungeon master. So I'm happy just to create a character and like just come up with the stupidest concepts imaginable. Um, <laughs> we actually ran, we, uh, we did a Marvel superhero role-playing game because there was that one from the 80s. I, I, yeah, I yeah. think it just called the Marvel superheroes role-playing game. I had and, it, yeah, it's TSR did it. I remember that. Yeah, we played for, uh, we must have played for like 15 weeks. I played as Madeline Pryor. Oh my God. And so nice. we went from, I, I did the full arc. And so I started as Madeline Pryor, the amnesiac Air Force veteran to full Goblin Queen by the end of it. Yes. I love that. Please tell me that you had a cut off like t-shirt, like, you know, like her <laughs> bikini wear with the cape, like just. There was this moment where three of there was a moment where I wasn't paying attention to the game and neither were two other players. And the uh-huh. game master's like, what are you all writing down? And we all showed him and we were all drawing Madeline Pryor fan art. I love it. Oh my God. I, she is, uh, I uh, love she's, Maddie. She's better than Jean. I'm sorry. She just is. It's controversial and I'm going to get canceled for it, but she is. I, as a professional, as a way to keep myself safe, I do not have opinions on Jean Grey. <laughs> <laughs> they, well because the defenders will come out of the woodwork so it's very you really do have to toe the line especially as a creator because people will find you i will say this like gene fans are i used to think they were really nuts and then i met like firestar fans and like i <laughs> i run our twitter and i said some like disparaging things about firestar winning the election uh, and getting on the team that jerry's writing and they came for me. I was like, I mean, I like her. I just, I was like, do we need another white redhead on the X-Men? We, we have some more diversity, but <laughs> apparently not. I hear you. I did something similar on Twitter with, there's this DC character, Katana. Mm-hmm. You know, she's called Katana because she wields a Katana. And the right. Katana has the soul of her dead husband in it. The whole thing. So anyways, right. I was like, oh, Katana's okay, I guess. And like the Katana fans came out of the woodwork and they're just like, how dare you? This is what one of the iconic 70s outsiders characters. And I think Katana's like a cool, you know, like show me the great Katana stories and I will read them. Yeah, sure. Talk about restoring the Steiner cut there. Yeah, right. <laughs> you might have to cut that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, let's kind of let's wrap up independent by talking a little bit about Dodge City. It's definitely one of your earlier works. Like, how did the idea come to you? I feel like in reading it, it was very. I hopefully this is like a compliment because I consider it one. It felt very Scott Pilgrim versus the World in a way. I just would love to hear a little bit more about thoughts, approaches, inspirations. Yeah, uh, Dodge City is about uh, Tomas, who's the leader of the Jazz Pandas, which is the worst dodgeball team in Dodge City. And I played in a, a co-ed dodgeball league in West Hollywood for eight or nine years. And so I learned a lot about those like interpersonal struggles, the team dynamics, the competitiveness. But also we were a bunch of like young queer people in our 20s who moved to this moved to West Hollywood for the first time. And this was really our chance to make these social networks. And so a lot of the stuff that actually happened in West Hollywood Dodgeball, I can't do a book about, but I can do a book about finding a community within a team sport and what it's like to be the underdogs. And dodgeball is such a frantic, kinetic game and everyone has an experience mm -hmm. with it. You know, it's not like, um, I don't even know, like lacrosse or something that's kind of has a barrier to entry. Yeah. Everyone's played dodgeball or has an opinion oh, yeah. on it. Oh, yeah. And so that was a lot of fun to do. Cara McGee was my artist with that. She's phenomenal and added so much humanity to the characters. And like, hopefully we'll be able to revisit them someday in the not too distant future. We're always talking about it. Uh, I definitely got, uh, you know, Adam mentioned Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I got obviously like a lot of sports manga like vibes from it. Mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, one of my favorite movies growing up was Bring It On. I don't know why I kept hearing like yeah. the big red chant. Like at the very beginning, I, I'm big red. I was just like, I could just <laughs> hear that as I was like, like opening up the first few pages. Yeah, I made, uh, I gave Kara the hardest job in the world, which is to draw bleachers uh, <laughs> over and over and over again. We're working together on a thing I can't talk about, but she's like, I'll draw whatever you want, but I will never draw a gymnasium again. <laughs> Love that. Uh, why don't we move on to some of your thoughts about the comic industry? So, Adam, so you want to Yeah, so we are giving you a crystal ball. Uh, what do you predict is going to happen in the comic industry over the next few years? And then how do you see yourself playing in that? Hmm. You know, I think we're at like, again, we're at like a tricky point because a lot of creators have been using social media as their platform. And we've been, a lot of creators have find, kind of found their end by having a large social media following and then mm -hmm. becoming comic book writers or artists or whatever as a result. Right. And those networks are kind of drying up, it seems like, right? It's harder to find each other. It's hard to build those. So it's, a lot of things are going to like Discord or Mastodon or whatever. Right. So right. I kind of wonder where people are actually going to meet each other because like um, even comic book conventions, a lot of editors don't show up to them in the same numbers that they used to because of, because of COVID concerns right. or this or that. And so like, I do wonder where the next generation of creators is really gonna come from. And that's something that's really interesting to me. Um, I hope that I'm gonna continue to be a part of comics. You know, I'm lucky enough to have gotten quote unquote in, I guess when I did, but <laughs> like, you know, I think that the future is gonna be self-publishing. I think these like, these Substack comics are definitely the way to go. I think these right. newsletters are the future. I think that that's going to be people building their private kind of communities and funding that. I have a good friend, Ryan Little, who um, he's done over 20 Kickstarters and they've all been funded and he never posts on Twitter about them really ever. He never, he doesn't post on Facebook. He's built a community, like an ecosystem for his fandom and for his books that is outside of the main industry. And like, I look at that sometimes and I'm like, that's what we all need in right. order to sustain ourselves. Cause I want to just make cool stuff. 
And if, you know, Marvel doesn't come calling ever again, I'd be very sad, but yeah. I still want to make comics. And I, we all need to figure out how we're going to do that after once things change. Yeah, no, I think the the idea of where production is coming from is a really interesting one. And I, I feel like you definitely hit the nail on the head because that's true of even a lot of other entertainments and other mediums. I think that when it really does come from not soul, but like a small team of creators to create, uh, you know, obviously when you have giant AAA multi-billion million dollar movies, like you really need that heft and that weight, but good comics, it takes an artist and a writer. And so I think there's, you know, obviously other people too, but I think there's just such an interesting opportunity to create those communities like you're describing. Um, so I love it. Um, do you have it? I like, are you ready to take that next step to create the community for Josh or? Oh gosh, I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably send you guys the link to my, uh, my MailChimp newsletter eventually. Um, oh. That's probably the next step for me is like, I'm talking to a lot of creators about creating um, some opportunities for, basically I want to create a big tent and let all the queer creators in. And there's a lot we can learn from each other. There's a lot we can share in terms of like knowledge about the industry, professional mm -hmm. connections, uh, even just simple stuff. Like where do you get your books printed? And this is not to insult anyone's books, but sometimes you go to the convention, you see the books and you're like, how did, why did you print it here? Like what is, right. what's going on? Right. And so like, we can help each other. We can make our book better by working together. We're not in competition. You know what I mean? Like it took me a long time to realize that, that like people who are reading, who's, uh, Steve Orlando comics. Steve mm -hmm. has a unique sensibility and he's created his own audience for himself. If an editor is deciding like, should I hire Josh or should I hire Steve for this thing? That editor has no idea about either of us then. Cause we have totally come from totally different walks of life and different, different uh, paths. So we're not in competition, I guess is what I always, I, I try to reiterate to myself in the middle of the night. I love that you want to create this virtual space because it, it makes me think of like a virtual flame con because we've gone a few times now. I don't know how many times you've gone, but we, we went in 17 and 19 and it obviously didn't happen in 2020, 2021 and in 2022, we got to meet you in person, which is awesome. Uh, but like what I love about that con is that it's that sense of community and everybody's just super chill with one another. And it's just easy to like it's small, so it's easy to approach, you know, creators. It's uh, great to talk to other fans, other podcasts. Uh, whereas like a New York Comic Con, San Diego, even Awesome Con here in DC, these are just really big events and everyone's super nice, but it just feels like, you know, you're kind of go, 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 go. And like, you know, we're friends with Steve Orlando and, you know, we got a chance to talk to Steve briefly, but we didn't get a chance to talk to him very much because, you know, he had, a, he had a job there. He had like, he's selling his books and, you know, he's trying to make that coin, which I totally respect. Um, mm -hmm. So I love the idea that you want to do this. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about digital comics specifically, because you've mentioned, you know, Substack, which I think is the way of the future as well. Um, you know, I made the switch to digital like 10 years ago because I, I, I've been reading comics since I was a little kid. And like, I just can't do the long boxes anymore, you know, and I don't have space for graphic novels. But Comixology mm -hmm. was great. And then Amazon bought it and they kept it great. And then they changed it and it's not as great as it used to be uh and i it just frustrates me that you know a place where i could easily find a lot of like more independent works outside of the big two uh you know it they made it a lot harder uh it's like the site is a lot less nav navigable it's um it's not as easy to be able to pick up new stuff here and there uh it's really frustrating but whereas i think uh going to the big two marvel unlimited has actually improved their interface. And so we you know we talked a little yeah. bit about uh, Hulkling and Wiccan, 
and their 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 unlimited comics are this sort of like vertical thing. You read it vertically on your phone or your tablet. Did you have to change your style at all in writing, uh, like maybe a ver- like a vertical comic versus like a traditional, you know, left to right, you know, panels that you read in comics regularly? Yes, that's the short answer. But um, you know, there are things, there are tricks that we have in comics. There are things that are kind of staples. We have splash pages. We have double page spreads. We have turn page reveals. We have big panels. Right. We have small panels. In a, in an infinite scroll comic, when you're constantly scrolling for the next panel, you um, you don't have that luxury. You don't necessarily have every panel is kind of equal in some way, and so that creates you have to find a way to create tension and create import importance kind of outside of that or through dialogue, through backgrounds, through the way the panel is placed on the page. I think for an artist, it's really challenging. I'm very lucky to have worked with. Uh, Jody Nishijima on mm-hmm. uh, Hulkling and Wiccan. And I think she did a phenomenal job with it. And then we have uh, Takeda Koro, who's doing the second volume of Hulkling and Wiccan. And people are going to lose their shit when they see how beautiful these pages are. Mm-hmm. Even the black and whites. I was like, why are we even coloring it? Like, this yeah. is it looks like it looks like a, like a classic Tokyo pop clamp manga. Oh my um, gosh. Can't yeah, wait. it's great. Uh, so like, that's a, that's a struggle and also like you know, on a comic page you could put any number of panels until your artist like beats you up and says never right. again but right. like you know you could a splash page is one panel or you could do 15 panels you could be alan moore and get really minute about it right but, um for these marvel unlimited ones there's a set length that you have to fit within and so that kind of changes how the storytelling works as well and so you'll kind of see, I, I'm reading a lot of The Unlimited right now. I'm reading uh, Terry Blas' Nova. I'm reading The Young mm-hmm. Avengers by Anthony Olvera. And it's interesting how we're all trying to wrap our head around this at the same time. Whereas I will say people from the webcomics world, they've been playing this game for years. And right. so you can see that expert storytelling kind of on those form, on those stories. And so we're just, you know, in some way, the superheroes at Marvel and DC are trying to catch up with what webcomics have been doing. Right, absolutely. Um, so obviously you're a queer creator, we're a queer podcast. Uh, can you comment on where you think queer representation is in the industry and where it should go? Uh, I would say something that really concerns me and not to be a downer, but obviously tomorrow is an election and we have some thoughts. Um, but you know, a friend of mine, Maya Kobabe, does a book called Gender Queer through uh, Lion 4, Joni Press. And it's currently mm-hmm. the most banned book in America. And really? it's it's the most banned book in America. And it's about Maya's journey to identi- self-identifying as genderqueer. What does that mean for, for uh, air uh, romantically? What does that mean in terms of having a work working in a school? What does that what does that mean? And people, certain people have found real offense to it. They think it's pornographic when it's not and these are right. the same kind of charges that are lobbied against uh you know gay lesbian whoever creators that we've been getting for the past as long as we've been publishing stuff and so i'm worried about things kind of rolling back and that kind mm-hmm. of censorship becoming more dominant and so i do think that we're very lucky now that like marvel and dc have our backs they do those beautiful pride books every year and right. they celebrate queer characters all year long through various books. And, but like, we can't necessarily count on corporations 
to save us and to save our creativity. I think the self-publishing, things like Substack, things like web comics, uh, that's going to be where we're going to get some of the most exciting work from. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And I, I've, I'm optimistic, hopefully, that now that the larger organizations uh, have both stronger representation within their own like corporate ranks, as well as just like, you know, hopefully the pendulum swing of history, like going towards a positive direction that they'll continue to support. But there is always, I think you're right in the sense that self-publishing is so important because at any point in time, there can be, you know, a potential wave that makes business leaders say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be doing as much as X, Y, Z. So I don't know, that's like more of a broad conversation on DIV than on Marvel and DC. But um, on kind of a lighter note, I'd love to hit us on the lightning round. So this is just going to be a bunch yeah. of questions. Just have a really good time. So your favorite, and this will be one of your favorite, because I know that people can really potentially stall on their individual ones. But what is one of your favorite superheroes, if not your favorite one? Uh, John Henry Iron Steel from DC Comics. Oh. He is probably my favorite hero character. I just found he hit me at the right time. Death of Superman was a big yeah. deal for me. And this this guy who like was greater than Superman only because of his intellect, his force of his force of will, and his like heart. That was really yeah. compelling to me. And yeah. I love Steel. I wish DC did a lot more with them. But uh, I agree. You know, I say that about all my favorite characters, right? You're like, why aren't they using name Arena more? I say, well, <laughs> so, so just like you're now the Steel fan, you'll be hunting down people on Twitter to basically be like, hey, that's not what you should talk about for Steel. Oh, absolutely. Right. No, I saw some people, they're doing like a Steel Omnibus for his 30th. And I'm gonna, I already pre-ordered it. But one of my friends was like, who's this for? And I was like, it's literally for me. Like I'm the guy. Yeah. Like, I, ordered ten, I ordered a thousand copies of this. The Steel's great. Reign of the Superman was an underrated storyline. I actually liked it more than Death of Superman. Death is like iconic, but the Reign of Superman uh, was, I think it was just absolutely fantastic. And like, it was Louis Simonson yeah. and John, uh, Bo Bo I'm going to say his last name wrong, but Bo Bogadnov uh, doing that. And so like they, like they did X Factor and a bunch of X books in the late 80s and early 90s too. So like, uh, just like, I, I love seeing that stuff. I was only going to confirm because I think it's been happening enough that I'll just announce it. Our lightning round is including uh, a guest star from our my dog. So as a new dog dad, we're <gasps> dealing with. <laughs> Joy, yeah. If you're hearing that, I probably yeah. It's not it's not Adam squeaking. It's actually, actually his squeaking toy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, talk a little to us about your favorite all time and current comic. You can put one, you know, one or the other or both. Just where's your oh, gosh? Uh, you know, I really like the original Runaways run. That's oh, yeah. that really popped into mind. Like that was that came at me at the right time too. That was the hot shit. Like that yeah. that whole thing, everything up until uh, the end of the Adrian Alfana stuff, and then um, uh, why am I blanking? Brian K. Vaughn's first, the, the whole first three major storylines of the oh, were excellent. Yeah. And like even I would think I'm a big Young Avengers guy. Obviously, I love. Uh, Wicked and Hulkling, I love all those characters. But I thought Runaways was like where the cool kids party. You know what I mean? Oh, like it was the shit. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that was good. Or even like Fifty Two from DC Comics. I was just talking to someone about that. Um, it'll never be that good again. The yeah. idea of this weekly book that's like filling in the gaps and like there's this mystery and you all these like secondary characters that are like suddenly getting their moment and like that was the good stuff. 
there's a second part of the question, I think. I already forgot it. Uh, current comic. Oh, what am I reading now that I really like? Um, like I said, I'm reading a lot of infinite stuff that I enjoy. Um, I just picked up Chris Cantwell has a name more book right now called mm. um, Conquered Shores. It's like a what if uh, in the future, uh, the polarized caps are fully melted, Earth is submerged underwater, and Namor won. So what do you do, Namor? Congratulations, you've been trying to conquer the human world and you did it, now right. what? And I love that kind of like, that existential, like what happens in a hundred years? What does the Marvel universe look like then? And it's not quite 2099, but I'm a sucker for like Kingdom Come 2099, Conquered Shores, anything that's like, show me, show me a future. Like, I love that stuff. Oh yeah, same. Uh, what about sci-fi movie? Ooh, favorite sci-fi movie. Um, Aliens. Oh, Ooh, good choice. That was, yeah. That's the first thing that came to mind. I thought that was like, that was, that hit me uh, at a perfect age. A lot of this stuff, like my favorites are literally just like my first exposure to like that kind of storytelling, right? And it just oh, yeah. imprints on you. Yeah. Um, so I definitely say, uh, now I'm, rem- I know I'm forgetting the name of the, the tough chick, not Ripley, but the other one, Vasquez. Oh, 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 God. Oh, God. Uh, God. oh my God. What was her name? <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't Vasquez? What was was it Vasquez? God, yeah. Can you are you looking it up? I'll look it up right. I now. just I just remember Bill Paxton's character going "Game over, man, game over." Like that's <laughs> that's like like the thing that like just sticks in my mind. And she's just such a badass. She's like, just shut up. We're gonna kill some aliens, you know. Oh my gosh. What about well, while I'm still looking it up, what about video games? Is there a specific video? Speaking game of game over. There you yeah. go. I know. Um, let's see. My favorite video game. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Nintendo stuff. Literally every three months, Nintendo's like, you like Kirby again, buy it. And I'm like, okay, Nintendo, whatever you say. <laughs> and so like that, but like um, Breath of the Wild was was the good, good stuff. And then I really liked um, Link's Awakening, which was Ooh, the Game Boy yeah. game that got remade for Switch. Yeah, right. Um, that was my first interaction with NPC characters that changed what they said based off of what you did. So I, a game never felt reactive to me before. You know what I mean? Like no matter mm-hmm. how you play the level, like Princess Peach is going to say the same thing. But in Link's Awakening, like you would do these like little things and the townspeople would be like, oh my gosh, thank you for saving my chickens. And then you'd play right. it again and you don't save the chickens. And then they're like, oh, I wish someone had saved my chicken. It sounds <laughs> just, it's so binary. But for me, it like opened my eyes. It felt like a living, breathing world. Um, Final Fantasy X, Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, argue the music from Final Fantasy X2 is the good stuff, the pop music. Yeah. Um, I mean, just uh, and then anything Nintendo sixty four. Oh, Space Channel five with Ulala from Dreamcast. Oh my god, Space Channel five is so yeah. good. And when you had Michael Jackson like show up doing like oh, the, yeah, Space the Thriller Walk, yeah, so good, so so good. All right, so I think we know the answer to this, but uh, rank the three Blue Beetles: Jaime Reyes, Ted Cord, and Dan Garrett. Unfortunately, Dan has to go to the bottom because it just hasn't been in a story and like yeah. 50 60 he like pops up sometimes as like a flashback or something but like right. i would love to give dan his due but if jaime's my boy ted is also my boy but like step aside jaime's time and ted's a big right. part of my blue beetle book i will say it's definitely there's a lot of elements that's about that dynamic and how that kind of shifting that jaime's coming into his own um but i love justice league international the yeah. like that was like my classic introduction to the blue beetle character and so I try to capture a lot of that humor and the, the artist, Adrian Gutierrez, who I, I love as my Blue Beetle brother, um, he captures the facial expression so well. 
Like I was just like, when Ted Cord talks, it's still Justice League International. His faces still do weird things. <laughs> like Amazing. a classic, like Kevin Maguire, facial expressions. Uh, I, I loved uh, that Blue Beetle, the Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, like friendship, blue and gold. Like uh, that, that was my Justice League book too growing up. And then of course, mm-hmm. Graham Morrison's right after that, or a little bit after that. Uh, let's rank the couple. So Hulking, Hulkling and Wiccan uh, from uh, Paul and Micah from Pool Boys. And then Craig and Brian from Dream Daddy, who rank? Yeah, what's your favorite? What's your second? What's your third? Okay, so uh, let's see. I feel like I'll say. I, I mean, I like my I like mine the most. Obviously, Paul and Micah are definitely my number ones. I can't deny that. Um, like I said, Wicked and Hulkling are the the best love story in Marvel comics. And then Craig and Brian, uh, they're the ones I would want to have you know have a beer with. But yeah. I feel like if they were all in Palm Springs um craig and brian would rent a house and they'd be grilling and uh billy and teddy would go to some fancy resort and just like have the champagne robot serve them drinks and then uh paul and micah would go to white party (laughs) yeah for sure i feel like paul and micah definitely seem the best fit for that actual trip because they're just like they give off that natural like yeah let's just be gay in a pool yeah i feel like micah just wears harnesses all the time i'm just getting that vibe (laughs) Oh my God, you, you, the, for the Kickstarter backers, we're, we're doing a making of sketchbook and the insane out, swimwear and outfits that uh, Josh has been <laughs> wearing. And Paul too. I mean, Paul gets to get, get some fun outfits too. Um, but like, it's, it's good. It's all good. Yeah. I love it. Now we got some laser fast. Now it's not even lightning, it's laser, but Mary fuck kill, North Star, Iceman, and Akihiro. I'm sorry, who was the last one? Aki here, Dokken, Dokken, or he goes by Fang uh, now. Um, kill Dokken, no offense Dokken, <laughs> just not my type. Um, um, it would be difficult, but I'm going to marry Northstar. We're going to find a way to make it work. I know he's not going to like, he's going to be very critical of me. And yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to, it's going to be worth it. Um, and Bobby <laughs> and I could go on a date or have a fling. You know, I bet he's good for it. Yeah, for sure. Like it. All right. What about Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson, and Jason Todd? Well, all these thoroughly from front to back home heterosexual characters, I would marry. <laughs> everyone would you you marry Dick? Uh, I is it bad that I might kill Bruce? Wow, you you okay? Wow, you kill Bruce? Because right. Dick's the Dick's the good boy, and he's 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 got the butt, and so he's yeah. definitely yeah. the one I gravitate towards. Yeah, it's and like then Jason's like the bad. Jason's like the bad boy. He'd be kind of. I'm kind of curious what he's like if you roll around with them what that's like and then bruce uh i don't know bruce is kind of like i don't get the vibe that he's like well it's not true the tom king stuff he's a super passionate lover so maybe i should reconsider um (laughs) i will say that my the fanship that i've always had and this is not canon at all was in jeff johns's teen titans run superboy connor kent and tim drake robin before tim drake came out as bisexual yeah. There was some simmering tension there that I was not imagining entirely. No, you're absolutely right. I was definitely, uh, I was definitely a lot of slash fic going on at the time. I might have written some of that slash fic, but I will, <laughs> I, <laughs> I will not reveal that that actual fact. And then I think we've got one final one, uh, also all straight, but Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, and Bucky Barnes. Oh. Um... Hmm. It's a hard one. We'll give you some time to consider. No, I think, you know, I, 
I think I'm going to marry Sam. Sam, I think, like, he's a real person. You know, he doesn't, he'd be someone I could actually have a conversation with. He's someone mm-hmm. that would, like, take care of me. I think birds are cool. Um, <laughs> we would get along well. And, he, and so, um, and then he probably, I'd, I kind of had to have fun with Steve. I think that's what I would do. I think that um, he's just dreamy. I don't know what to say. He's got, you know, he's America's oh, ass. Yeah. Um, and then I'd have to kill Bucky. Um, but don't worry, Bucky always comes back. He's I was just about to say. <laughs> Winter's coming through, I think, then if that, if that plays out. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks, thanks so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed uh, you, ha- you being on. Uh, we're looking forward to Blue Beetle graduation day. We're looking forward to Hulking, Hulkling and Wicked Love Unlimited. I can't say Hulkling. I say Hulking all the no, time. No, it's okay. My, my autocorrect, it says Hulking and Wicca. Every time I write it down, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to uh, everything you've got coming on uh, in the next uh, several weeks and several months. But Josh, where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else you'd like to plug that we didn't talk about today? Oh, gosh. Um, you can find me on uh, social media uh, at Lost His Keys Man. There is an at Josh Trujillo. I am not him. He's an excellent photographer. But um, I am a Lost His Keys Man. And then um, what am I plugging right now? Honestly, I, it's a big month. I've got Blue Beetle graduation day. Please go to your retailers and ask for a copy, especially the later issue. This stuff matters so much. It's absurd. And um, I'm doing Bill and Ted Day of the Dead. That'll be out, I think, the week this, this episode drops. Ooh. And so that's a fun excuse to write some of my favorite 80s, 90s dudes. Love it. Um, I'm doing an Agretzico miniseries for Oni. That wraps up in December. That's been a lot of fun with Abigail Sterling. So, you know, November, December, it's a good time to be a fan of my work, thankfully. Yeah. As for us, we are on Twitter at Homosphere X and on Instagram at Homosphere Podcast. Uh, if there's other writers, artists, and other uh, nerd culturistas you'd like to hear us chat with, make sure to slide in our DMs. Thanks so much. And talk to you soon, Josh. Great. Thank yeah, you, guys. Bye. Thank you for having me.